Well, yesterday when I woke up, I said to Leanne, I think I just slept for six months and it's spring. (laughs) Did anyone feel that way yesterday? Man, what a beautiful day and what a beautiful day we're having today. If only we could say winter was in the rearview mirror, but you know what? We're going to enjoy it while it's here, aren't we? So if you don't have plans to be outside today, change your plans. (laughs) Soak up the sun while you can. Uh, It's beautiful weather God has blessed us with here this weekend. I'm very thankful for it. You know, our, our God, our Father, is so good to us, isn't he? We have so many, so many reasons to thank him and praise him every single day and, and every single week if we collectively shared all the things that God's done in a church family. I think it would just increase our volume of praise. Uh, on Friday morning as I was preparing this sermon, I got a phone call at the office and uh, it was a lady that I'd never had the privilege of meeting before, but she introduced herself. Her name uh, was Alice Wright, and she introduced herself as, as Mitchell Conrad's uh, great-grandma. And uh, I'd never met her before, but the name rung a bell because uh, about a month ago at our, our regular prayer time at youth group, Mitchell had shared how his great-grandma had been diagnosed with cancer, and she's 85 years old. So typically at age 85, a cancer diagnosis Well, at any time, it's bad news, and especially so. But we prayed for her, and we prayed for healing. Um, A number of the youth prayed. I prayed, and uh, I think we prayed for her a couple of weeks in a row. And she called Friday morning to say, thank you for praying, because the doctor has not found, um, the doctor has given me a clean bill of health. Every last speck of cancer is gone. And Mitchell shared with me that that his church was praying for her, and so I want to thank you for your prayers. Isn't that just amazing? And, and to top that off, she's 85 years old and she's back home. So she's back home with a clean bill of health. Is, uh, God is so good and he answers our prayers. Even when we say these prayers and we might even forget about them, uh, God hears, he doesn't forget, and he answers these prayers. So we have so many things to be thankful for. Uh, we have some flowers up here. And congratulations, Eric and Brittany, another huge answer to prayer and baby Callum's here with us and uh, we're so thankful to God for you what a blessing yeah we're just thrilled for you there's so many other things to be thankful for this morning let's uh, let's begin with a word of prayer and turn our hearts towards our great God would you bow with me heavenly father thank you again and again for what a good father you are you are good to your children even when we don't deserve it you are so good uh, we, we saw in the children's video, Jacob did not deserve your blessing. He had done nothing in his life to earn your favor. Uh, he had been a deceiver. He had tricked his brother. He had done other things that were underhanded that we would look at. Why would you choose Jacob to be the namesake of your chosen people? And yet, God, when he turned to you in prayer, and he even contended with you, wrestled through the night, uh, in the end, he still sought your blessing, and you gave that to him. And so, Lord, so often we are just like Jacob. We don't deserve your blessing. We've done nothing to earn it. And yet we come to you with our prayers, and because of your great love and your mercy, you bend down, you listen, you hear, and you respond with blessing. So thank you, Lord, for your blessings. They are poured out in so many different ways. We thank you for how you answer the prayers on behalf of Alice Wright. Uh, We thank you for the healing, and thank you that she knows you and is praising you for this healing. And we pray that you just bless her, Lord, and bless her family. May this be a a witness to our entire family, we pray. Uh, Lord, I want to thank you for the the good response to the food drive. 
and thank you for the 3,840 pounds that were collected that will go towards uh, feeding the hungry in our community and surrounding area. And thank you for that blessing, Lord. Thank you for, for um, Audrey Fader and the others who are involved with the food bank and administering it, Lord. We pray that you would bless them and give them what they need to continue that ministry. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this beautiful weather today. Thank you that you are in control of all things, including the weather. Uh, Forgive us for where we've complained about the rain that you've sent this year. Uh, But Lord, we thank you uh, for your provision of the rain as well as the sunshine. And uh, we know that we're going to enjoy it. So give us thankful hearts, Lord, uh, whatever you send. Uh, Lord, we thank you for new life. We thank you for your answers to prayer on behalf of Eric and Brittany. Thank you for baby Callum, that he's here for the first time this morning that he is in uh, your house with your people. What a, what a great place to start life. And we pray, Lord, that we would come alongside them in nurturing uh, his life, Lord, and pointing him in your direction, as we do for all of the children in this church, Lord. So bless our children and help us to be faithful in pointing them towards you and planting them on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. So help us to that end, Lord. Lord, we pray for those who are ill this morning. We think of uh, some of those who aren't able to be here this morning. We, we pray for Barb. Lord, she's struggling with some illness, and we pray that you would just lay a healing hand upon her. We continue to pray in advance, Lord, for Susie Friesen's uh, operation upcoming. Uh, we pray, Lord, for those who are in Bayside. I think especially of Peter Bueller, Lord. Uh, be near to him and to all of those in Bayside this morning. Uh, give them a special touch and an awareness of your presence. Lord, we pray for the ongoing work happening at Turtle Mountain Bible Camp, especially the new project for the the facility there. Thank you for this weather that's giving them the ability to uh, keep going with the construction into the fall, and we pray that you would uh, give them safety as they build, and we pray as well for the the continuing uh, funds to be raised for the completion of that building, Lord. Thank you for the tremendous ministry that's happening there. Lord, we also would be remiss this morning if we didn't Uh, Pray for our neighbors to the south. We think of the the nation of the United States of America, and especially, Lord, in this um, upcoming week as they have a presidential election taking place this Tuesday. Uh, Lord, it is uh, such uh, a complicated issue to pray for, and yet you have commanded us to pray, Lord, and you have commanded us to pray for our leadership and those you place in authority over us. And so, Lord, we pray simply that uh, your will would be done in that nation. And you have been... Uh, You have used that nation in such amazing ways throughout history. And so, Lord, we pray that you would show your mercy uh, to them. And we pray that you would be with the nation, that they could still be a witness for you in the nations, and that you would show your mercy, Lord. So we ask this on their behalf, Lord, in this upcoming election. And so now, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this avenue we have of prayer. And we pray that this morning uh, you would draw us deeper into how we can use this communication with you as our lifeline as we go through our lives as your followers. And now I invite all of God's people to pray together with me the words you taught us, Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Three professionals were sitting at a table talking about what the oldest profession in the world was one day. 
And so the three professions present that day was a doctor, an engineer, and a politician. And so the doctor was the first to speak, and he said, well, the Bible says that God took the rib out of Adam's side to make a woman. So therefore, that clearly required surgery, which means the oldest profession is that of a surgeon. Well, to that, the engineer looked at the doctor and said, no, but the Bible also says that God created the whole world out of the void, out of chaos, out of nothingness. And so in order to do that, God must surely have been an engineer. So engineering is therefore the oldest profession. The politician then smiled smugly, leaned forward and said, ah, but who do you think created all of that chaos? <laughs> yeah, you can figure out, connect the dots on that one. Nonetheless, it's, uh, it's not fair to say that, petition, or poli- pardon me, that politicians have created all of the chaos in the world today, but as we're finally nearing the end of the most contentious, divisive, and scandal-plagued presidential election in American, in American history, we can safely say that at least some politicians have contributed to a lot of the chaos in our world. But even there, I must pause and add this footnote. History has shown us repeatedly that nations usually get the leadership they deserve. And in this, I mean that as nations increasingly turn away from God and towards self-sufficiency, towards selfishness and sin, their leadership will eventually come to reflect their values. And we don't just have to look at the United States in this regard, we can look at the nation of Canada as well. And so for us as Christians, as God's children, who recognize that we are but sojourners passing through this earthly kingdom, and we are going to the eternal kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, How do we respond to the shifts we see in the earthly kingdoms around us? How do we respond? Well, first and foremost, we should pray. And then we should pray, and then we should pray some more. And, you know, I mean, if if what we're seeing happening in the political landscape around us, the U.S. presidential election as, as an exemplar right now, but it's not the only thing that we could look at, if these things don't cause us to go to our knees in prayer on behalf of our nations, then what will? What will it take for us to begin to fervently intercede on behalf of what is going on in our nations and in the world today? If there was ever a time in human history that our world desperately needed the prayers and the intercession of the saints, it is now. And throughout all ages, God has called his people to be a praying people. But are we? Are we collectively and individually a praying people? You see, for every believer, every single one of us, myself included, there is always a very real danger that our prayer life becomes neglected. It becomes sporadic, where we only pray once in a while, and usually when we have an urgent need. It can also become shallow and superficial, where we only pray very general, vague prayers, like, God, bless the food on my table. God, give me a good day. God, bless the world. You know, these vague general prayers that we're not really meaning. They're they're very superficial. Or our prayer life can become mechanical or ritualistic, where we might pray some good things, but we're saying them simply out of habit rather than from the heart. And so for the next several weeks, we are going to dig a little bit deeper into this absolutely vital communication lifeline that we have with God in the series I've entitled, And When You Pray. 
Now, in this series, we are going to look at multiple passages, because this shouldn't come as any surprise to you that the Bible actually has a lot to say about prayer. Who is that comes as a surprise to? Anyone? The Bible has a lot to say about prayer. You already knew that. And so we're going to look at a lot of different passages. The Lord Jesus also had a great deal to say about prayer. He mentioned the topic 42 times throughout his teachings. And amazingly, the Gospels record him praying on 28 separate occasions. And so our focal point and our central text for this series will perhaps be the most famous prayer in the history of the world. The one that the Lord Jesus taught his disciples, the one we just prayed this morning that we know best as the Lord's Prayer. Now the first footnote I want to just throw your way as we begin this study is that the name the Lord's Prayer is actually a misnomer. It's been mislabeled. It might say the Lord's Prayer in your Bible heading, but that's not actually divinely inspired. That's just what humans have labeled this prayer. A more accurate title for this prayer would actually be the Disciples' Prayer. And the reason for this is because this wasn't actually the Lord's Prayer that he was praying personally for himself to his Father. No, this was a prayer that he was giving to his disciples to pray to his Father. So it was actually the Disciples' Prayer that the Lord was giving to them. So yes, it's the Lord's Prayer in that sense, but it was to be the Disciples' Prayer. This is our prayer to our Father that our Lord Jesus gave to us. So I know that's a minor detail, but something to begin thinking about. This is a prayer Jesus gave for us. We can put our name in there. This is, this is Danny's prayer. Put your name in there. This is your prayer that Jesus has given for us to use. Now, most of us are very familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Most of us, as we recited this morning, have it memorized. We know it by heart. Many of us have attended churches where it was recited every Sunday. Others will still recall when this prayer was recited every morning in our public school system. One pastor uh, put together a collection of different ways that children had learned to recite this prayer. Because as kids, we don't always get the words right, do we? But we're still learning as we go. And so he put together a collection of some of the humorous ways that children had uh, recited the prayer that were maybe just a tad off. These are not intended to be sacrilegious, just simply humorous in how children often recite things. One mother shared the following. When my twin daughters were young, I taught them to say this prayer before going to bed. As I listened outside their door, I could hear them say, give us this steak and daily bread and forgive us our mattresses. (laughs) The steak actually fits, right? You know, daily bread, why not a little steak on the side? Uh, Another man shared, when I was a child, I learned the prayer as, our Father who art in heaven... Howard be thy name. I always thought that was God's real name until someone corrected me. Howard be thy name. Uh, one, one of my favorites, there was others, but this was my personal favorite, comes from a young man who said, when I was younger, I believed the line was, lead us not into temptation. So I always thought I was praying for my little sister to get into trouble. Lead us not into temptation. Yeah, okay. (laughs) No one got that one, did they? A few of you did. Okay. Nonetheless, we we learn these things, and uh, initially we learn the form. We're just reciting them mechanically. Maybe the substance isn't there, but as we learn and grow, I hope that the depth of these words begins to sink into our hearts and souls, and we know what we're really praying. So I want you to turn there with me this morning to Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, we, of course, have the prayer recorded for us. 
But we're going to go into the context of the prayer before we get into the nuts and bolts of the prayer itself. The setting for this teaching is Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. The location for this teaching, uh, known today as the Mount of Beatitudes, is actually a beautiful setting on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, nestled in the hills alongside the the coastal road between Gennesaret and Capernaum. Absolutely breathtaking, the, the beauty of that rolling countryside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. The context of the teaching itself in chapter 6 is that Jesus is giving his disciples instruction on the practical aspects of kingdom living. And he does this in regards to giving and tithing. He does this in regards to prayer, fasting, money, and anxiety. And so for the purpose of our study, we are going to focus in on the practical teaching on prayer given in verses 5 to 15. There, if you have your Bibles open, let's look at verse 5, beginning with the very first line, and when you pray, let's stop right there, we're not going to go any further, and when you pray. Now at first glance, this just seems like an introductory remark, doesn't it? You know, let's get on to the real stuff, and when you pray, let's keep going. But we're going to stop right there, because even that little line contains a message. What is it? Well, I want you to take note that Jesus did not say, and if you pray. He didn't say, and if you pray. He said, and when you pray. Now, remember that Jesus is addressing his disciples. And so to hear uh, him say, and when you pray, that means there's no ifs about prayer. It is simply a matter of fact, when you pray. So let me just be very clear at the outset of this this series and this message from what Jesus is getting at. Prayer is not optional for a disciple. Prayer is not optional. It's and when you pray, not and if you pray. Being a Christian and not praying, I was trying to think of examples of what this would parallel to. It's like being a hockey player and never skating, right? Is that going to work? Being a, a baseball player and never swinging a bat. The two things just are incompatible. Being a Christian and not praying, it just doesn't work. And when you pray. So let me just say that if you are currently in the category of and if you pray, then you need to stop right now and take serious stock of your life. To call yourself a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, but prayers in the if category You need to stop whatever you're doing and reevaluate your life. You need to get off alone to a quiet place by yourself, get down on your knees or whatever posture you need to take and start right there. You need to stop and you need to reconnect with your Father in heaven. Talk to God because believe me, he is eager and he is waiting to hear from you. He is waiting to commune with you and yes, he is waiting to speak to you. Now, I know that the vast majority of you here already got this. Um, You're like, okay, move on to the next point already. But on the off chance that there is just one person here today or listening somewhere else who hasn't got this yet, I'm going to be as blunt as I possibly can. There is no Christian life. There is no daily walk with Jesus. There is no fellowship with the Father, no communion with the Spirit, without prayer. Is that clear? Is everyone good? It just doesn't exist. It cannot happen. We cannot live this life without 
prayer, daily communion with our Father. It really is that simple. I hope I've made it as clear as I possibly can this morning. And our Lord Jesus' teaching makes it crystal clear. He simply cannot fathom a Christian life without a prayer life. And Jesus modeled that throughout his ministry. He was constantly off in prayer with his Father. And of all of the faithful saints who have gone before us, they bear a consistent testimony of prayer's vital importance. One preacher of a previous generation named Samuel Chadwick, he said this, The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from our prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. So please, please, please don't miss this. Don't miss the vital importance of prayer in your life because we can learn all we want to learn about prayer, and we will in the remainder of this series. But what good is all of that learning if we don't actually do it? So may we each individually resolve personally to be a praying people and collectively a praying church. Our Lord simply says, and when you pray. So now that we are praying, and I, and I pray that you are, now that we are praying, our Lord has two specific cautions of how not to pray. We're going to get into a little bit later how to pray, but he starts out with two specific cautions of how not to pray. So let's look at those. Verse 5, we're going to keep going past the first line now, and I promise we're not going to go line by line through the whole thing. Let's keep going. Verse 5, And when you pray, do not be like the the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Now, the religious people, the ones he's referring to, we can name them off, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the C's, you can lump them in there, the Levites, the priests. He's kind of lumping them all into this religious category. And he says, don't be like them, for they're doing it for outward show. They're standing with these you know, outstretched arms on the street corners, these loud prayers, so that everyone can see how religious they are, how holy they are. But Jesus says that the payoff for that type of prayer is being seen by men. And so he says that because that's what they're looking for, and that's the reward they get, is that they get noticed by people, they're seen, then he says they've received their reward in full. So what he's implying is that if they still thought that their prayers would reach through to the throne of God, they can just forget about it. Because no matter how many eloquent, righteous, holy words they string together... What they're really looking for is to be seen by men. And so he says, therefore, your father's not listening because you've got what you were looking for. So forget about your prayers getting through to the throne of God. Quite simply, Jesus is implying that God does not listen to nor heed those types of self-seeking, showboating prayers done simply to impress others. Now, one note to make clear on this teaching Some people have taken this to be while Jesus was banning uh, public prayer meetings. No, he wasn't doing that. Jesus was not banning praying in public or having corporate prayer meetings. In fact, the prayer that he goes on to teach his disciples is not a private prayer. It is a corporate prayer because, take note, the prayer is not my Father who art in heaven. No, it's our Father. The prayer is designed to be prayed in fellowship with other believers. 
And so he's not banning public prayer. No, he was addressing something very specific. He was, in, he was addressing the inner heart condition that manifested itself in an outward way. And that inner heart condition was the motivation for why these men were praying. What was their inner motivation? You see, as with all things, from God's perspective, the why is just as important as the what. Why we pray is just as important, if not more so, than what we pray. You know, I've become more and more convinced that when God listens to our prayers, to my prayers, it's not so much the words that come out of my mouth that he's listening to. He's listening to what's really in my heart. Where is this prayer coming from? What is the wellspring of the words that are coming out of my mouth? That's what he's listening to. And so next, Jesus, the great, the great physician, he, he goes on to prescribe the antidote to this inner heart problem of praying just to be seen as righteous by other men. Verse 6, he goes on to say, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now the original Greek word used here for room was often used for a storeroom where treasures or valuables were kept. And how appropriate is that word since we have the most precious treasures available to us when we pray. God's whole storeroom of heaven is available to us, his children, when we pray. This word can also refer to a den or a closet, a private chamber, somewhere where you can go off to be alone. By going to a private place to pray, there's a few practical things that we, that we get out of this. First off, it removes the temptation of praying in order to show off, which was the direct reason Jesus gave this instruction. These men were praying just to show off. He's like, no, get alone with your father. Pray from the heart. He sees what's going on in there. So that's the first thing. It removes that temptation. And the second thing is it does is it removes distractions. It removes all those clutter and things around us that would distract our prayers and help us to focus in on our Father and praying from the heart. There's a great movie that's been made a couple of years back now called War Room. Has anyone here seen the movie War Room? Anyone? Oh, great. A few hands are going up. The central theme of this movie, War Room, is that uh, the battle that Christians, we as Christians face does not happen in the physical realm with people. The battle is actually happening in the spiritual realm. And this battle can only be won on our knees in prayer. And so in the movie, we see the, the lady who's sort of the, the main uh, trendsetter in this regard and the positive. She's, she has a prayer closet that she calls her war room. And it's a place that she goes to to battle in prayer. And so in this room, she would have journals and things where she would write down her prayers and record how God has answered and study the scriptures. And others throughout the course of the movie set aside their own war room as well where they begin to do battle and prayer and begin to see God answering in a a wide variety of different ways. It's really a fantastic movie. It's a great family movie, by the way. And if you haven't seen it, it's in our church library, so you can check it out today if you haven't seen the movie. There's a little plug for it, but a fantastic movie. Now, it doesn't have to be a literal closet that we go to to pray. But I want to ask you, do you have a special time or a place where you can pray without interruption? where you can just be alone without distractions around you. I know some mothers with toddlers have told me things like, yes, my alone time is in the bathroom with the door locked and children banging on the other side. That might apply to a few of you in the back here today. 
Um, to that, my wife Leanne would tell you, yeah, that would be great if our bathroom door even had a lock. So <laughs> she doesn't even get that time. Now, for others of you, um, it might be in the tractor cab or in the combine. It might be when you're out alone in nature somewhere. Uh, but wherever and however you find that time, uh, make it a priority. No matter how difficult it might be, wherever or whenever you can make that personal prayer time, if it's, a, if it's important to you, you will make that time. You can and will carve out the place and the time, even if it's only for five or ten minutes. It is absolutely vital to do this. And I think when we make excuses of saying, well, I'm too busy to pray, or I don't have time to pray, I've got too many things going on, well, that reveals something about our view of prayer. You know, how do we view prayer? Is prayer simply a nice option that's there when we really need it? You know, now life's really bad, so I need to pray, so now I will. Or is talking to our Father in Heaven every day as vital to our lives as having air in our lungs? Because if it is, if that's our view of prayer, communion with our Father is vital no matter what we're going through. If that's our view, then simply we will make time to pray. In his book entitled How I Pray, the great evangelist Billy Graham writes this. I heard about a young president of a company who instructed his secretary not to let anyone disturb him because he had an important appointment. Well, the chairman of the board came in and demanded, I want to see Mr. Jones. The secretary answered, I'm terribly sorry, sir. He cannot be disturbed. He has an important appointment. At this, the chairman became angry. Do you know how important I am? The news I have affects the entire company. And with that, he banged open the door and charged right in to Mr. Jones's office. And there he stopped in his tracks. For there on the floor was the president of the corporation on his knees in prayer. The chairman stepped back, softly closed the office door, and in a subdued tone of voice, he turned to the secretary and asked, Is this usual? Yes, she replied. He does this every morning. To which the chairman of the board responded, Well, no wonder I come to him for advice. Making time to pray. It was this man's priority. It was his most important appointment of that day. And he wouldn't give it up for anyone. Is that our view of prayer? Is that our view with our lifeline to our Father? The most important appointment of our day? Or is it the first one that we push away when anything and everything else comes up? Because someone else came charging in the door. Oh yeah, you're more important. You're the chairman of the board. Well no, actually our Father is the chairman of the board. No, he's not the chairman of the board. He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the most important appointment of our day Let's see him that way. And let's prioritize that time. The second caution that the Lord Jesus gives us on how not to pray, the first one being, don't do it for show. Don't do it to be seen by other men. The second caution he gives is, don't pray with meaningless repetition. Verses 7 to 8, Jesus continues, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. That last line always just, oh, that gets my head spinning. But the first part is what we're going to focus on. Prayer is not an effort to overcome God's unwillingness to respond by wearing Him down with our words. 
We don't have to badger our father into listening to us. You know, I'm sure those of you who have toddlers, you learn to tune it out, don't you? Like, just this morning, we're in the men's science school class, men here can vouch for me on this. Someone thought it was a great idea to bring a dish of Halloween candy to our Sunday school class this morning. And, hey, I got a three-year-old. What are you trying to do to me here? So anyways, he's got a bunch of candy. And I finally said to him, okay, last one. And so, you know, I'd already tuned out the incessant at my pen, like, daddy, 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 daddy. I want one more, one more, one more, one more, one more, one more. You know, that goes on for about three minutes until finally I kind of hear it and it's irritating enough that, no, I said no. (laughs) And then three minutes later, okay, and I'm opening it. (laughs) Okay? God's not like that. He's not. You know, um, this is me confessing I'm an imperfect father in this regard. But he is a perfect father. We don't have to badger him incessantly until finally he gives in and says, okay, fine, I'll open the candy for you because you asked me 16,000 times and I'm tired of hearing from you. He is not like that. It is not an effort to overcome his unwillingness. The babbling, the many words, thinking we have to break down God's resistance to our prayers, that's exactly how the pagans prayed. And we see examples of this throughout Scripture. The pagan priests prayed in their showdown with Elijah on Mount Carmel. Do you remember that? And Baal wasn't answering them. And Elijah begins to mock them a little bit. Well, where is your God? Has he gone on a journey? Is he in the bathroom? Is he sleeping? Then what? And they keep praying and praying and calling on his name incessantly for hours on end. We read the verse, it says, Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. This also happened in Acts chapter 19, verse 34, where we read this little snapshot that the pagans shouted in unison for two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Imagine that sort of a prayer meeting. Let's have a prayer meeting. Two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. For two hours, they hoped that by shouting it often enough, that great Artemis of the Ephesians would come and answer their prayers. One pastor summarized this section by saying that in our prayers, we shouldn't be hazy, crazy, or lazy. (laughs) Does that sound about right? Hazy, crazy, or lazy? Uh, I like what D.L. Moody once said. This is maybe a little bit blunt, but he's getting to the heart of the matter. And he said this, Some men's prayers need to be cut short at both ends and set on fire in the middle. (laughs) Is that getting to the point? John Bunyan commented, When thou prayest, rather let thy heart be without words than thy words without heart. There's a lot of truth in that. Now I confess that at this section, I find it ironic that in the very context where Jesus forbids vain repetition in prayer, he then teaches his disciples the one prayer that has been repeated ever since more than any other prayer in history. The one we of course know as the Lord's Prayer. And I personally grew up saying the Lord's Prayer so much that it just became a mechanical recital for me, something that I could rattle off in 10 seconds flat. I'm not even kidding. I timed myself, so get your watches out. All right, ready? Here we go. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation. Deliver us for that is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. <sighs> 10 seconds flat. I didn't even take a breath in there. Anyone else want to try? Any volunteers? <laughs> I'm going to have to take a breather here. Hold on, get some oxygen. There we go. Now, I think I rattled off all those words in correct order. It's recorded so we can play it back and check if I skipped any. But I think I got them all in the correct order. But my heart was not in it. 
I was simply saying words. And I did that for years. I said those words just not like that, a little bit slower. There was a little bit more pace to it. But I said them very fast, mechanical, recital, but my heart was not in it. The mystery and the magnitude of this profound prayer is something that eluded me for many years, something that even now I feel like I'm just scraping the surface of. And one helpful way to guard against this is to remember that Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, not what to pray. Yes, there's what's in this prayer, but he is giving them a template of how to pray. We find this detail by going to a parallel account of it in Luke 11, verse 1. And there we read Luke 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now what I love about this little verse is that it starts out with Jesus, the master, off alone somewhere by himself doing what he always does, praying. And we know that he did this often. So often, in fact, his disciples often had to go out looking for him because he was off somewhere praying. He modeled such a consistent prayer life that one day, moments after saying amen, one of his disciples right here spontaneously asks him, Lord, teach us to pray. And so Jesus teaches them the same Lord's Prayer. It's a short prayer, one that even if stretched out beyond 10 seconds, if we slow it down as much as we possibly can, it's not going to take you more than a minute. It's a short prayer. And yet Jesus would pray for hours on end. So obviously he wasn't telling his disciples that they should repeat that same prayer, those same words, for hours on end. It was not the what so much as the how. And the how all begins with our heart. We begin with a heart relationship with our Father. Not as a distant deity that we must summon by saying his name two hours in unison, but instead we must see him as a Father who loves his children. And so we pray from the heart as Jesus taught us, our Father. A man's daughter had asked the local pastor to come and pray with her father. When the pastor arrived, he found the elderly man lying on bed with his head propped up on two pillows and an empty chair beside his bed. Well, the pastor assumed that the old fellow had been informed of his visit, and that's why the chair was sitting there. I guess you were expecting me, he said. No, who are you? The old man replied gruffly. Well, I'm the new associate pastor at your local church, the pastor replied, and when I saw the empty chair, I figured you know I was going to stop by. Oh, yeah, the chair, said the bedridden man. Would you mind closing the door? Puzzled, the pastor closed the door behind him. I've never told anyone this, not even my daughter, said the old man. But all of my life, I've never known how to pray. At church, I used to hear the pastor talk about prayer. It always sounded so eloquent and flowery. I could never do that. But it just went right over my head. I abandon any attempts at prayer, the old man continued, until one day, just about four years ago, one of my best friends said to me, Joe, prayer is just a simple matter of having a conversation with Jesus. So here's what I do. Sit down in a chair and place an empty chair in front of you. And in faith, just see Jesus sitting on the other chair. It's not spooky, he promised, because Jesus did say, I'll be with you always. So then just speak to that empty chair as though Jesus were sitting right there and listening to you talk. So I tried it, and I've liked it so much that I do it a couple of hours every day now. I'm careful, though. If my daughter saw me talking to this empty chair, she'd have me committed. 
so I've never told her. The pastor was deeply moved by the old man's testimony, and he encouraged the old guy to continue on this journey of his conversations with Jesus. Then the pastor did what every good pastor does with a visit like that. He prayed with the man and returned back to church. Two nights later, the daughter called to tell the pastor that her dad had, in fact, passed away that afternoon. Did he seem to be peaceful when he passed? The pastor asked. Yes, when he left the house, pardon me, when I left the house around 2 o'clock, he called me over to his bedside. He told me one of his old corny jokes. He kissed me on the cheek. When I got back from the store an hour later, I found him gone. But that's where something really strange happened that I just can't figure out. It's beyond strange, kind of weird. I don't know what to think of it. But when I found him, he was leaned over and resting with his head on that old wooden chair beside his bed. See, my friends, to pray is just like a child putting their head on daddy's lap. We talk to him. It doesn't have to be flowery. In fact, God doesn't care so much if it is. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to be long. He just wants to hear from his child. He wants to hear from your heart. If putting a chair across from you in the room is going to help you do that, go for it. Try that. Because for that man, it made all the difference. And who knows when that curtain was pulled aside and he was ushered into God's presence Was Jesus sitting on that chair? Did he see his Savior? I believe that when that veil is being pulled aside and people are about to cross over, there are moments where they are seeing their Savior, they are seeing their Lord, they are seeing the angels summoning them into the presence of a real and living God who so often we doubt, Father, are you there? Do you care? Do you hear my prayers? Oh God, why aren't you answering my prayers? And we have so much doubt And when that moment when we see him in all of his reality, we will look back at every prayer that we ever uttered, every whispered cry from the heart, every dark thought in the middle of the night, and we will see he not only heard those prayers, he cared deeply about them. And he was moving heaven and earth in all of his power to bring about a response to that prayer for our good and his glory. And so... Though for now he is unseen, we pray to a Lord who is always near. He is imminent. Don't know what to pray, don't know how to pray. Pull up an empty chair and start talking to him as though he is sitting right there. Because he is. He really is. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that there is no prayer, there is no cry of the heart that is too trivial or small for you. Thank you that we don't need to impress you with many words or how eloquent they sound. You just want to hear from our hearts. You want us to be like a child who rests our lap and daddy's, our, our head in daddy's lap and tell you about our day. And so, Lord, I pray that you would cultivate this attitude of prayer uh, with each one of us. Lord, I pray for those of us who are here today who feel stirred and convicted that we haven't been praying. We haven't been a praying people. Lord, I pray that you would just start us here at this simple place before you. You want to hear from us. You want to hear from our hearts. Help us to do that today. Lord, help us to set aside time and prioritize that time that you are our most important appointment of the day and to not push you off for others. 
And so we just thank you that you hear this prayer and all the prayers that are being lifted up right now from your people. They are a sweet-smelling fragrance to you. Thank you that you hear, that you care, and that you are so ready to answer. We love you. You are so good to us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask all of these things for your glory. Amen.